living with uncertainty can take its toll. The normal day-to-day is replaced with fear, worry, doubt. When our normal is disrupted, our surroundings begin to feel weak. Foundations begin to rattle. Our lives become disoriented. As time goes on, we begin to lose sight of the one constant on our journey. Jesus. The fear is consuming. The worry, draining. The doubt, painful. Even in our darkest moments, when the last thread of hope has unraveled from our being, we must dwell on truth. We must remember, no matter what is happening around us, God is still sovereign. Today, let us dwell on the truth of Easter. The stone has been rolled away. The grave has been rendered powerless. Death has transformed to life. In our fear, He is still risen. In our worry, He is still victorious. In our doubt, He is still alive. When everything seems hopeless, the hope of Easter remains.
Good morning, dear Ron Church. I hope you're enjoying the extra time with your family and making the best of the situation. My name is John Dyke. I'm the chair of the Board of Elders of Deer Run Church. Happy Easter and, good, and, and remember what Jesus did for you. Please respect the social distancing recommendations during this Easter season, which means no family gatherings, if at all possible, most of the ministries in the church are functioning online by Zoom, WhatsApp, or some other form. And also, any information you need, you can also go on the dearon.church website. The Board of Elders is meeting and will be meeting with the building committee to review drawings and continue the process of getting ready to build the sanctuary and offices. Please pray for the staff and leadership of the church and also that through this, we will be able to learn what God is trying to teach us. Also want to just thank you for your online donations. I talked to a treasurer today and she said that there's a good uh, money coming in and we want to thank you for that. And if you do have any concerns or needs, please contact the church and we will do our best to help and find a way to help you. Thank you for your time. Hello, church family. My name is Maria, and I'm really glad to be doing online Easter Sunday together with you. First things first, since today is Easter Sunday, we've got to start it in the right way. He is risen. Okay, I didn't hear anything, so let's try that again 
once I tell you what's going on here. In early church tradition at Easter, it was common to greet one another with, he is risen, and then reply, he is risen indeed. And maybe even add a holy kiss in there. This was more an Eastern Christian tradition before it moved over to the West where we live. It comes from Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, uh, it's verse 34 that we're gonna be looking at. But if you, if you notice, it's the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, where he meets uh, two of his followers who don't recognize him. And, and then uh, eventually, as he's invited to eat with them, he reveals himself. And it says, verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Sharing that Jesus Christ is risen is not only true, it's also an encouragement to each other as we celebrate this continual fact. He is risen indeed. And that means we have the gift of salvation, we have eternal life, and so when I say he is risen, you say he is risen indeed. All right, let's try it. He is risen. All right, sounds good everybody. You guys did great. I have a couple announcements. All ministries are closed until further notice. If you need prayer, please visit the website dearrun.church or call one of the pastors. They'd love to pray with you. Easter Jam. Wasn't that a lot of fun for your whole family last night? I thought it was. If you missed it, please visit the Dear Run Church YouTube channel uh, to, to check it out and to see what went on. This Thursday, there will be an online prayer meeting. More information will be made available on Facebook soon. I want to tell you, as someone who has a bit of an inside peek into what the pastors are dealing with over the last few weeks, they have been working so very hard to prepare appropriate online content and engage our congregation. And I know uh, for Ike, he has been praying diligently for you and really wrestling with how to do this online ministry in the best way possible. Know that all the pastors of Deer Run are praying for you, they're thinking of you, they're shepherding in a whole new way. Thank you for sending notes of encouragement, for sending text messages or phone calls, making phone calls, commenting on Facebook. All those things help them to know what's effective and what's appreciated. We are in this together. All right, let's join our hearts in prayer as we continue on with the service. Jesus Christ, Lord, we celebrate you today. On Friday, we remembered your death, the death that you willingly took for us, that you did not deserve. On Saturday, we waited. And on Sunday, today, this day, the third day, we rejoice because you have risen from the grave. You are alive. You defeated sin and death. And because of your sacrifice and love, we have salvation and eternal life. You give us the free gift of grace and you redeem us. Today we praise you, you're holy, you're sovereign, you are king. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. We serve a risen savior. And we say with Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We say, we bless you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We pray these things because Jesus is alive. Amen. He is risen. All right, sounds good. Let's watch. Good morning, dear one family. Um, happy Easter from Jamaica. I'm gonna be celebrating today by resting and uh, playing some games with staff members and fellow interns. Um, this internship has looked really different compared to what I expected because of the COVID-19. Uh, all of our teams and events were canceled, so planning and uh, administration, all that has been different for me. Um, so we as a staff have been working on the base with different projects like painting or just doing little renos to uh, maintain or doing projects that haven't been able to, we haven't been able to do in a while. We also started a garden, so worst case scenario, if we can't buy produce, we'll be hoping to grow our own. And Jamaica as a whole has been doing really well with um, controlling the COVID-19. I think there's been 63 total cases, um, and and that's like really small. Like it's been a couple weeks, so they've been doing really well with keeping it under control. There's a nationwide curfew of 8 p.m., um, and even so, like we as a base have just been trying to self-isolate and uh, keep our distance from, or even just making our trips to town count, and so we go as little as possible. But I wish I could be there with you all, um, but I miss you and I love you guys. Greetings from Belize. My name is Alexander Perez. This is Leah Perez, and we're with Belize Camping Experience, and we're glad to join you. Right now, Belize is in complete lockdown, a state of emergency for the month of April. Praise God, we only have eight cases as we shoot this video. But with a small population and an under-equipped healthcare system, we're glad that our government is being proactive. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean for the ministry? We're not sure yet. Camp preparations are pretty much done besides gathering materials to actually run camps. But what's the summer going to look like? We don't know. Are we going to be able to gather in groups large enough to have camp? Are the kids going to have to go back to school during the summer if things do get better? So our desire has always been to be a support to the local churches, both in the children's and youth ministry. So we're seeking the Lord to figure out what that might look like during this time. For Easter, we will be joining our country in prayer and fasting as our government has officially called for a day of prayer and fasting. I find this really, really encouraging because they're calling us uh, for repentance, redemption, and an awakening in our country. But most of all, the government is asking for us to put our security in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. As a family, we've been doing video devotions about Easter with the children, while also enjoying the creation at the beach here and planting a garden that, you know, just in case things drag out a little bit further here, we have some resources for ourselves in the ministry. So thanks so much for thinking of us. We are praying for you guys as well. We keep a close, things, uh, a close eye on things in Ontario as that's where you are friends and our family is at. And so be blessed and hang in there. Yes, have a good day. <laughs> Hi church, we just wanted to uh, give you a short update, let you know how we're doing um, on this Passion Week. This, sun, the, this Sunday we're celebrating Easter and we kind of just wanted to let people know how things are going, um, how Ukraine is dealing with the COVID situation and 
Yeah, just life in general. And of course, for everybody right now, it's uh, all up in the air. You know, different countries develop differently during this time. Ukraine has made very, very strict um, rules on quarantine. You're not allowed to go on the streets and people more than two. You are uh, not allowed to walk around without a face mask and uh, you're not allowed to have meetings for more than 10 people gathering together. So as far as our ministries, we had to switch everything to online. And I mean everything. And praise God, we were able to uh, have at least half of our ministries are, are keep on working in an online um, mode. And um, definitely a different way for us to do things. And we are learning a lot right now. And it's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of... Uh, emails it's a lot of trying to encourage all our all our staff at the base here we have about 40 of us living still living here and then about uh, you know 20 of us are living in their apartments and uh, uh, we uh, we just you know make rules as, as leadership for right now yeah and uh, we know this coming Sunday's Easter a lot of our staff can't go home we can't go home but we're we're gonna just still celebrate a little bit uh, do a few small things that we're allowed to do um, we're still going to celebrate his resurrection like we do every year. We still know that he is on the throne and that he's taking care of everything. So we're excited about that. Um, we wanted to wish you all a happy Easter. Um, we just encourage you just to know that God is still on the throne. He's resurrected. He loves us. And we're thinking about you there. Uh, we miss everyone. And just know that we're okay. Our family's healthy. All of our families are here healthy. All of our staff are healthy. We're all doing well. And praise God we have this beautiful property to enjoy. We don't, we're not stuck in cities in the apartment. Well, not everyone is, but um, we have this property to walk around and enjoy. So we just pray that you would have an amazing Easter, that you would enjoy that time with your friends and family, and uh, may God bless you. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I think it was uh, wonderful to hear from uh, the missionaries that we sponsor and just to be able to uh, hear how they're coping and uh, we're, we're just glad that they're safe, and we're glad that they are able to continue their ministry. Obviously, like us here, uh, it's taken on a little bit of a different form, but uh, we're just so thankful for them, and we, I would encourage you to just uh, continue to pray for them as they um, are adjusting to this, uh, to this time. Well, I want to wish you a happy Easter as well, and thank you so much for joining us online. Today is a special day because today we get to celebrate I would say the pivotal moment of our faith when Jesus rose and he was victorious over sin and his death that he died, that gruesome death that he died, uh, wasn't for nothing. When he rose, he accomplished everything that he had planned on doing. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at uh, this sermon or talk to us today um, with, with a question in mind. And I want you to just allow this question to just sort of hang over you as, you, um, as we go through the service. I, I want us to wrestle with this. I want us to be uh, just something that we process. Uh, um, I think during this time, with all the, all the things that are going on, I think this is an important question. And I think Easter speaks really well to this question. And it speaks really well to maybe some of the things that we are, um, that we are experiencing in life right now. So here's the question. Have you ever experienced victory that didn't feel like victory? Let me ask it again. Have you ever experienced victory that didn't feel like victory? For example, 
you won a playoff game, but your best player got hurt. So you're going on to the next round, but now without this key player on the team. Um, you got a promotion at work, but with it came the extra responsibility. You got a raise that you've been asking for, but now that you've got the raise, you feel that you are under far more scrutiny. You are accepted into the university that you've been wanting to be accepted into, and you applied, and you were hoping, and, and now you got accepted, but with that comes the reality that you need to move away. You put in an offer for a house and you find out that your offer was accepted and then you realize all of a sudden it's like, oh no, now we have this mortgage hanging over our head. Have you ever experienced victory that didn't feel like victory? All of these, and we can come up with so many other examples, they have this feeling of, yes, I did it, but then the weight and the responsibility of that victory, the weight and the responsibility of what was accomplished. And so sometimes victory doesn't feel like victory. I think this is a, a great way for us to understand what the disciples experienced when they were told that Jesus had rose or that Jesus you know, was raised to life. When the disciples found out that Jesus was alive, they didn't respond maybe the way that we would have thought they would. They didn't, you know, they weren't out in the streets dancing. They weren't, you know, clapping their hands. They weren't dancing. You get a very different picture of what the disciples were experiencing or the way that they reacted. It is almost as if they didn't quite feel like they had just received victory. Now the Gospels all tell us about the resurrection and they all tell us some different details. And so we're going to look today at the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture today. So get your Bibles out, follow along. The words will be on the screen. But I want you to listen to the story. And I want you to hear some of the burden that the, the characters in the story are experiencing. So John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, John, for some reason, only mentions Mary Magdalene. And we know from the other Gospels that there were more women there. But for whatever reason, John decides to only mention Mary. But if you read the other Gospels, you know that there were, that there were more women there. So, verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved. You know, a little bit of humble brag there, I think, from, from the, the writer. But, and he said, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other apostles started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strip of linen lying there, as well as the clothes that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now let's just pause here for a moment. He saw and he believed. What did he believe? Because the next part tells us that they didn't understand. They didn't understand. So what did he believe? I, I think that what John believed was that Jesus was not there. 
He believed Mary. I think up to this point, they didn't really believe her. They didn't really think this was true. So now he saw the empty tomb and he believed that the body was not there. But let's look at verse 9. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. We'll pause here for a moment, but I want us to just look at this because I think there's some important lessons for us to learn. At this point, at this point in the story, the disciples, they do not understand what has happened. At this point, right now, they feel utterly defeated. This is not a time of celebration for them. This is not a time where they're dancing, where they're celebrating, where they're shouting. No, they believe at this moment that Jesus has been stolen, that his body has been stolen. They, they don't get it. They don't understand the victory they already have. They feel defeated. What a crushing, crushing moment this must have been for them. They must have beaten themselves for not standing up for Jesus more during the trial. I can just see them gathered around asking themselves, why didn't we do more? Why didn't we, you know, do things differently? And now maybe they're even asking themselves, why didn't we stay at the tomb? Why didn't we stay there night, you know, during the night and keep watch? You've heard me say this before. The evidence in that the disciples did not believe that Jesus was going to rise is based on this, is that if they had believed that Jesus was actually going to rise from the dead, they would have been at the tomb counting down, but they didn't. They were at home. They were in their different places. And now they feel this utter defeat because the body is gone and they do not understand. They had so many questions. I'm sure they were wondering with how, where, who, you know, what is going on? Can you imagine all the questions? And can you imagine what it must have been like when they got back to the place where they were gathered? You, you get this image in your mind of, of these two guys walking back where everyone else is waiting and they just kind of walk in and it is just defeats, sorrow. The body is gone. Peter, who was always quick to speak, I can just picture him being speechless in the moment. He doesn't know what to say. And we get this sense that Mary Magdalene, she just couldn't get herself to go home. She stays at the, at the, at, in the garden. And she's weeping as she takes one more look just to see, is it really so is, the, is it really empty? And so she's standing outside and weeping and looking into the tomb. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside, outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Verse 13. They asked, Woman, why are you crying? Let's just stop here for a moment. This question has always bugged me. This question, a woman, why are you crying? It's, it's, it's bugged me and it's confused me. Like, is it a, um, you know, like, why are they asking? Is this a rhetorical question or, or just a really dumb one? Think about it for a second. Like, why are they, you know, like, why are they asking this kind of question? Like, why do you think this woman is crying? 
How much you know, more obvious does it have to be? Like, you, know, you could almost argue and ask yourself, like, what is the IQ of these two angels? That they would look at the situation, they would look at Mary, and then they would ask themselves, hey woman, or ask her, hey, why are you crying? But think about it through the lens or through the perspective of the angels. And suddenly you get a very different view of the whole situation. See, they know what Mary and the disciples don't know. They know that Jesus isn't dead. They know that he's very much alive. So no wonder they're looking at her going, hey, why are you crying? Because they get what has happened, but Mary doesn't. They see the victory, and they're just astonished. Why would this woman who has victory, why would this woman be in tears? Look at verse 13, the rest of verse 13. Look at Mary's gut-wrenching response. You, you just feel her pain in her agony. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, I'm no actor, and so I'm not going to try to, you know, add the right emotion to what she's saying here, but you can hear the pain. You can hear the loss, the confusion, the fear, the despair. Her world has been flipped upside down. Her world is, you know, just completely shattered. Let me ask you again. Have you ever experienced victory that didn't feel like victory? Think about Mary right now. Have you ever experienced victory that doesn't feel like victory? Here's something I want you, or I don't want you to miss. You see, Mary doesn't know it. Think about this. Mary doesn't know it. Mary doesn't even feel it. Or she doesn't understand it. She definitely doesn't believe it. But because of what has transpired, because of the things that have taken place, because the tomb is empty, she has victory. She has victory over all of her sins, just like you and I do today. But there she stands, weeping, looking into the tomb. And the victory that she has, the victory that is available to her, she doesn't get it. And she's standing there weeping because at that moment in her life, victory didn't feel like victory. It felt like defeat. But at the same time, she was still victorious through Christ because Jesus is alive. I wonder for some of us today, maybe we feel that same way. We feel that same brokenness. We feel that same despair. We feel that hopelessness and just victory doesn't feel like victory. I think you need to do what Mary is about to do. You need to experience what Mary is about to experience. Maybe you've done the same thing where you focused only on what seems wrong. You, you focus on only the things that are not going the way you want. You're, all you're capable of seeing is defeat. All you're capable of seeing is how things are not the way you wish they would be. So you need to do what Mary does. You need to change your view. You need to change your perspective. Change what you are looking at. And instead of staring into what looks like defeat, you need to turn and look at Jesus. Because Jesus is victorious. Verse 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. 
but she didn't realize that it was him. And again, here you hear her agony. Verse 15, she asked, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Same question. Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Now, I don't mean to be rude, but that is a ridiculous thought. Think about it. The tomb was being guarded by soldiers. Like, how could a gardener just walk in, take a body, and walk away with it? But you got to understand, at this point, Mary is so consumed by what she doesn't understand that she's starting to make up these irrational scenarios in her head. She's trying to formulate some kind of logic to make sense of the pain that she is experiencing. You can see fear and doubt and pain and defeat. They've taken hold of her to the point where she's not able to see beyond her own difficulty in her own um, view of the situation. That is until Jesus calls her by her name. Verse 20, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I think this is just so beautiful. Here she has been looking right at Jesus. She didn't recognize him. And then he called her by her own name. And it was like at that moment a veil was removed and she could see clearly all of a sudden the very person that she had been longing for, the very being that she had been longing to see, there he was right in front of her. Jesus was alive, standing there in front of her. You see, when victory doesn't feel like victory, you need to remember that Jesus still knows your name. At this moment... For some of you, you, you feel so defeated. You feel so hopeless. This, this whole COVID-19 thing has, has messed up your routine and has messed up your finances and has, has caused all kinds of panic and despair. But know this, that at this moment, Jesus, who is victorious, knows your name and is willing to meet you where you are, in that place of doubt, in that place of fear, in that place of despair. And in that moment and in that place, he will call you by your name. He's calling you, and he's wanting you to experience his love and his victory. From what we see, you know, from what, Jesus says to Mary next, it's, it's pretty clear that when she realizes that it's him, that she's overjoyed, and, and I picture her just jumping and grabbing a hold of him. And there's some confusion around verses 17, but let's read it, and then we'll look at it really quick. Jesus says to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet, been, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go in, instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Now, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of debate around this verse, but I don't want to dwell on it too long, but really quickly, be, uh, let's look at some of the difficulty with, with this verse. First off, it looks like a contradiction, 
Because here Jesus tells her, don't hold on to me. But then later on, when he's with his disciples, he's like, touch me. Feel the, you know, feel the, the wounds in my hands and, and in my side. And then later when Thomas was doubting, Jesus actually says to him, come and touch and you know, get rid of your doubt. So this seems like a contradiction. Why is Jesus saying, don't hold on to me to one person, but then to his other disciples, here, touch me. I think the reasoning behind this might be, in, you know, in the translation. It's likely that the verb translated hold is to be understood in the sense of do not continue to grasp hold of me. It's possible. It's possible that Mary grabbed hold of Jesus and wouldn't let him go. Another important thing to notice is that Jesus implies that a different relationship would follow his ascension. What is clear is the fact that touching Touching is not the basis of ongoing faith. Mary would have to learn to trust in the resurrection without being able to hold on to Jesus. She would have to believe what had happened without being able to physically experience it. So I think in this is a beautiful lesson for us that we can believe in the resurrection even when we have not seen the physical evidence of it. But Jesus is alive. John tells us that Mary went and told the rest of the disciples, verse 18, Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. Notice the difference in her tone now. And she told them what he had said, what he had said these things to her, that she had said these things to her. So how did the disciples respond? You would think, well, they would now be overjoyed, but not so much. They sure don't act like they are serving a Savior who could rise from the dead. They instead locked themselves behind doors for fear of being discovered by the Jewish leaders who had brought charges against Jesus. And if you go to the Gospel of Mark... Mark chapter 16, he even tells us that Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith and, that, and for their stubborn refusal to believe eyewitnesses. For the disciples, this victory didn't feel like one. And guess what? Because it didn't feel like one, they chose to live in defeat. And I think we could argue that they continued to live in defeat even after they had met Jesus because what you see is that they begin to go back to their old way of life to some degree. In Acts, after Jesus ascends to heaven, they're standing there. They're just left standing. It's like they're still in the state of disbelief. And in Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us that they were all together in one place. This is very reminiscent of when they were locked behind doors. But everything is about to change. Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit. And now in Acts chapter 2, he came. What was once a physical relationship now became a spiritual relationship. The Spirit of God, the very Spirit that, had, that Jesus had told them about would now dwell in them. This, at this moment, this small band of followers would find courage and experience strength, and they would experience boldness and courage in a way that they had never known before. You see, when victory doesn't feel like victory, we have to choose to believe. We have to choose to believe in what Jesus has said. And very often, I think, 
when victory doesn't feel like victory, it's because we're trying to do it on our own. But with the Spirit of God dwelling in us and believing that Jesus rose, that he is victorious, suddenly we can experience the victory that he has given us. So know this. Jesus rose. He is alive. He is seated on the, on the throne victorious. And he has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you and I. And if we invite Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God is dwelling within us. Look at what Jesus said the Spirit would do in our lives. John chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because... I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have so much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he, he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is for, from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. I love that promise. All of this was said by Jesus long before, or before he was crucified, before he died. But I love the promise of Jesus here that we will not be on our own. Whenever hardships, whatever hardships we face, we do not face them alone. We have the presence of Jesus, the victor victory of Jesus dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So what do we do? What do we do when victory doesn't feel like victory? What do you do? Very simple. We choose to believe. Now that may sound like a cop-out answer, but it's not. Think about all the moments in your life when you've experienced pain and you've experienced hardship. There's something about choosing to believe in those moments, in those moments of difficulty, you choose to believe that what Jesus accomplished by dying and rising from the dead, he did for you. Your final victory will come when he, when he returns and takes us all to be with him forever. But for now, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not remain outside the tomb weeping as if though we live in defeat. No, Jesus is alive. And we must live as if though, uh, we must live knowing that that victory is ours. For those of you who find yourself in a time of doubt, in a time of fear, where you feel defeated, I want to read to you a prayer that, that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And to me, I believe that this is a beautiful comfort. 
And I trust that as I read it to you, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in a place, depending on, on what your situation is, but maybe you just want to hold your hands out and just receive these beautiful words that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. And allow the, the prayer that Paul prayed for them and the prayer that he would have prayed for you and I, allow it to minister to your heart. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, in his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So that's my prayer for you. And I trust today as we celebrate this beautiful, this incredible moment when Jesus rose. I trust that in this moment, as we celebrate that victory that Jesus gave us, that if you find yourself in a place where it doesn't feel like victory, that you will choose to believe. That you will choose to believe that what Jesus did, he did for you and that he knows your name. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the week.